What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I am your host, Bob. I'm hanging out talking my favorite hometown, Cleveland sports, as always, with my older brother, Christopher. What's going on, my man? Man, you're bringing out the formal name, man. It's pretty hardcore. I didn't dress up in a suit or anything. I don't know what that was for. <laughs> but know. Maybe the inauguration has me feeling all pomp and circumstancy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that, Bob. But uh, all I can say is this weekend was fantastic. I saw The Founder. Highly recommend. Great Michael Keaton film. Plays Ray Kroc. He was fantastic in it. The movie was great. And I got my wish. The Pittsburgh Steelers got obliterated by the Patriots. Very happy about that. Uh, so I def I enjoyed every minute of that game. It it just brought me such joy to see Pittsburgh get absolutely trounced, especially by the Patriots, but just in general. So I was very happy about. It. Yeah, well, it's good for you. I I mean, we'll talk about the Super Bowl in a little bit. I'm not as happy as you are, um, and I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, obviously, we are going to talk uh, first with our main topic, uh, a Cleveland sport of choice. Um, right now, uh, the Cavs are in the thick of it while the, the Indians and Browns are in their off seasons. Um, not the best of weeks for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Marquee matchups against the Golden State Warriors, uh, which we talked a little bit about last week, but we didn't preview that game. Uh, thank goodness we didn't make a prediction because, uh, man, they got ran out of the building there. Uh, and then losing in overtime to the San Antonio Spurs. So losing to the two best teams in the Western Conference in one week. Not the best of showings, but obviously we uh, still have a lot of confidence and faith in our Cleveland Cavaliers. They're still uh, at the top of the Eastern Conference and look to be the favorite to win that conference. I don't think you or I are really worried about that. But um, there was some news right before this big you know, Golden State Warriors rematch of the season uh, where, where LeBron James said that he doesn't consider the Golden State Warriors a, a rival. And uh, other people weighed in, you know, Draymond Green says it is a rivalry. So uh, that got uh, Chris and I thinking, well, who are Cleveland's true rivals? Um, and, and so we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But first off, Chris, do you do you agree with, with LeBron's statement that uh, the Golden State Warriors are not the Cavaliers' rival? I understand what LeBron was trying to say. I disagree with his statement because they definitely are a rival right now. I mean, you meet two straight years in the finals. You're on a collision course for a rubber match, an epic rubber match. They are definitely a rival right now. But I get what LeBron was saying. I think they are a rival. I don't believe it is a rivalry. Because rivalries are bred over time. And I think that this could be the foundation for a rivalry, much in the way the Lakers and the Celtics were formed over consistently meeting in the finals, consistently going head-to-head in multiple eras with superstars. The true test of the Golden State-Cleveland rivalry will be after this, after LeBron and Steph Curry have moved on. Will the fans still have the same resentment? Because Washington and and the Cavs were rivals, But once the Wizards fell apart and LeBron left, the contempt left as well. So I understand what LeBron was saying. I don't believe it is a rivalry, but they are certainly rivals right now and the best thing the NBA has going for it right now, no doubt. I think this could lead to a rivalry in the future, but but, but I get what he's saying. I think they are definitely rivals, though. I disagree with that, but, but I think I know what he was trying to go for there. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, currently right now, this is the closest thing to a rivalry that we have in the NBA. I, I think the superstar nature of the league and, and the individual nature of the league makes it really hard for new rivalries to be forged. But the way that these two teams have loaded up over the last three years with their superstar talent and have really just been, w- without a doubt, the two best teams over the course of now two and a half seasons, um, this nothing comes close uh, in the league right now there's no real bad blood uh, anywhere else I mean the Clippers and the Grizzlies have a little thing going on but uh, you know nobody really cares to remember that and and that happens in like a round one of a Western Conference Finals or whatnot Um, definitely the Warriors and the Cavs there's some bad blood we saw even though there it was a blowout I mean we saw another flagrant foul by by Draymond Green uh, you know trying to club LeBron James or if you're a Warriors fan LeBron James flopping to the ground take it or leave it um, you know choose your side and interpret it how you want but clearly uh, when these two teams get together right now there's some heat uh, and and it's brewing for a rivalry Uh, I definitely agree with you once this first generation of players once they leave or or, uh, age out or retire or um, you know, one of these teams dips, goes into a lull for a little bit. If they come back, will that bad blood animosity still be there? The way things change so quickly in the NBA, I'm not sure that that will happen. So I, I do agree with LeBron. I don't think that uh, this will go down in history as the Cavs' true rivalry. And, and every Christmas day, regardless of who's on these teams, we'll see Warriors versus Cavs. But right now, yeah, we're kind of witnessing a rebirth of the Lakers versus Celtics. No, yeah, certainly. I I think that you said it best. This is such a star-driven league, and when you add Kevin Durant, LeBron's biggest rival in his era, uh, to a team that's his current biggest rival, I mean, it's just the 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 perfect storm of rivalryness. Yeah. I mean, how are you not going to hype up? LeBron versus Durant when Durant just joins the Warriors, mm-hmm. the team he's faced the last two years in the finals. But but I think we're definitely on the same page here. It's they, they, I, when I think of the Cavs rivals, the Warriors aren't historically the ones that come to my mind first. I mean, they're, they're the current one, and, it, and I'm not saying they aren't the biggest one right now, but I, I, I think that once these players leave the Warriors, I don't think the rivalry is going to survive. It could. Because five years from now, maybe a new set of players will meet in the finals or something like that. But, but I think that that it's way too early to say that the Warriors and the Cavs are a true kind of long term rivalry. Yeah, you know, I, I think currently in the league, it's really the the true rivalry is LeBron versus history right now. <laughs> if that makes any kind of sense, and and you know before. LeBron came to the Cavs, Cleveland Cavaliers didn't really have a rival just because they weren't weren't all that good. I mean, you could say there was some stuff going on between them and the Bulls or them and the Pistons uh, in the early 90s. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see with all the history that LeBron has brought to this Cavaliers team, all the playoff appearances, all the historic games, what remains and what stays with this team uh, once he leaves and, and, and who... Uh, you know, Cavs fans really get up for it and start to hate. So if we're not, if we're ruling out the Warriors, who else in the league could, would you consider to be a, a true rival to the Cleveland Cavaliers? Well, I think the easiest place to grow a rivalry is within the division. So the logical points to Detroit, 
and then Chicago. Because like you said, in the early 90s, those Cavs team, the, the last great, the, before LeBron, that was the only great era of Cleveland. That Those late 80s, early 90s Cavs teams that got to a conference final and were obliterated by the Jordan-led Bulls. Now, you know, it was at kind of the other end of the coin where the Pistons and the Bulls were kind of getting the better of the Cavs, but, but they certainly created animosity for tried-and-true, blue-blooded, pre-LeBron Cavs fans. So I think that anyone who's followed the Cavs prior to LeBron would view the Bulls and the Pistons as their primary rivals over anyone else. And I think that that is intensified with LeBron because LeBron put the shoe on the other foot. He has owned Chicago. Now, most of that was with the Heat, but he did own them in 2015 and he did own them in 2010 with the Cavs. And he's owned and he did kind of wreck that Pistons dynasty with that epic game, uh, no, excuse me, game five at the Palace. That was one of his signature games coming against a team that had kind of dogged him for a bit. So there's some animosity up in Detroit for LeBron. There's some uh, definitely animosity in Chicago for LeBron. I think that with LeBron, he's been able to kind of break back against those teams, kind of get the revenge for what they did to us in the 90s and allow them to view us as a rivalry, not just a one-way street. So I do think that there's potential for the Bulls and the Pistons to have lingering hatred for the Cavs after LeBron, especially anytime you talk about a Detroit team, Ohio State, Michigan is going to come up and that's always a good kind of foundation to kind of lean back on as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I think uh, division, which is often influenced by geography, but division and, and geography are, are the keys to to a true rivalry. And, and I think we'll see that as we talk about uh, the tribe and the Browns as well. I, I agree with you. I think it's either the Pistons or the Bulls. I'm leaning towards the Pistons because, um, you know, yes, LeBron ha- had some history with, with the Bulls, uh, it, particularly in Miami against Derrick Rose in, in our first year when he came back. But, you know, I my favorite memories uh short of winning the championship last year obviously i mean that's always going to be my favorite ist memory but my my some of my favorite memories are those early detroit pistons playoff matchups between first era lebron uh versus uh that uh you know detroit dynasty in the eastern conference and him trying to battle through that and, and fight his way through that i think there's still some lingering history there you know, all those guys uh, from those historic Pistons teams are, are off the squad, you know, new head coach, uh, totally new roster. But I think that there's definitely some some lingering feelings from those matchups where, you know, 2007 was supposed to be Detroit's year. They were, they were supposed to go back and, and vie for another title. And LeBron with, you know, we all know the story with, with, with a very undersized, under talented team you know upset them and and upsets rarely happen in in, in the NBA in that kind of fashion and and he you know pulled it off and I think there's still some bad blood from that so I I really uh, think that if there is a rivalry between the uh, for for the Cleveland Cavaliers it, it, it lies in Detroit. Yeah, I, I agree with you because last year in that first round, that that was a very chippy first round series. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that not chippy in the way that there were some fights or anything, but Detroit came to play. I mean, they hung with Cleveland for three quarters every single game. They just kind of ran out of gas in that fourth. The talent kind of slipped away from them because the Cavs are so loaded. But but Detroit came to play. They did not look like a true eight seed that was just going to get doormatted. I know they got swept, but those games were all pretty competitive. 
Uh, so so I, I do agree with you. I do think that the Detroit-Cleveland rivalry is still there. And I also think what helped the Chicago rivalry is Joakim Noah denying Ohio State a championship when Florida had already denied them in football. And Joakim Noah was the face of that denial, and he was a very annoying player in college. And then he goes to the Bulls and torments LeBron. So I do think that has helped the Chicago rivalry as well. Yeah, and he also says really disparaging things about Cleveland like every time he comes to town. So that doesn't help uh, either. I think Joakim Ho- Yo- Noah is just an easy guy to hate. I don't, I don't think it's just concentrated in Cleveland and people that hate him. But um, per- I guess specifically people in Ohio uh, have it out for him. Uh, for, for some very good reasons, obviously. Um, all right, well, uh, who, who do you want to move to next, uh, tribe, or, tribe or Browns? Let's go with the Browns. I think the Browns are going to be a little easier than, than the Tribe. Okay. Well, uh, obviously, I mean, if you ask old-timers or uh, if you watch uh, Browns or Steelers, I think that's where people will go first. Uh, we, we've talked a little bit about you know uh, our feelings towards the Steelers and, and towards what this new era of Cleveland Browns football has brought um, I think one of the saddest things is that uh, the when the Browns moved away and then when they came back, this disheveled, warped version of what the Browns used to be, uh, the Steelers rivalry uh, died. And, and it really hasn't come back. And that's due in part because of the 18 years of uh, misery and failure. Excuse me, 17 years. 18 years? Yeah, 18 years. No, 17 years. All right. I, I'm going to stop doing math. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you lose count after a while. I mean, once you yeah. get over 15, it's like, you know, 15 plus. Like, it, it, it's, it after that point, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. So the, the long, uh, agonizing, depressing years of almost my entire life of the Browns just being bad uh, have destroyed that rivalry. Not being a fair opponent to the Steelers who have gone through, you know, multiple Super Bowls, have won multiple Super Bowls in that time. I, I, I just think they left the Browns in the dust and don't really care about them as much. Though the the one argument that you can make is that the only loss in, in Browns playoff history uh, post-expansion era is to the Steelers. So you, uh, maybe it's still there or it could still come back. But I think as of right now, it has to be in Baltimore, the team that stole the Browns and won a Super Bowl just a few years later has you know Ozzie Newsom is still that the general manager there's still ties to the old Cleveland team uh I, I think it has to be there now obviously Baltimore just like Pittsburgh is in a different weight class than the Browns have been uh post-expansion era but there's history there they are forever until one of those teams moves or shuts down they are forever linked and tied uh to that move and to the post-expansion Browns era and the Ravens are the team to blame for having this, you know, second rate Browns reincarnation, second era, if you will. So I, I, I'm going with Baltimore. They're the team that I hate the most uh, in all the NFL because they, they took away all our history and, and all the progress we had. I agree 100%. It's definitely Baltimore. Uh, they, I, I, I cannot cheer for Baltimore. And there's only one scenario where I will cheer for Baltimore. And that is if I need Baltimore to win in order to get Cleveland a playoff spot. That is it. Other than that, 
I want Baltimore to lose every single game. I laughed my butt off when the O and whatever Miami Dolphins got their only win in the year at the expense of the Ravens. I loved it. I hate the Ravens. I want them to lose, lose, and even after they lose, lose again just for the fun of it. If they could lose twice in the same Sunday, I would love it to happen. I will never cheer for Baltimore. I will never get over it. I I agree 100%. I think right now Baltimore is it. And I agree with you. I believe a lot of history with Pittsburgh has been lost because one of the number one teams the lost generation of Browns fans, our generation, went to was Pittsburgh. There are a lot of people in the region. Pittsburgh's not that far away. Youngstown essentially flipped to Pittsburgh. A lot of people in that area, it's Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh expanded its enterprise and planted flags all throughout the Cleveland area. And the Browns are going to have to get really good to push them back. Because right now, those converts haven't had a reason to come back to the Browns. I mean, it's just the fact of the matter. Now, old school Browns fans are probably, their ears are bleeding hearing this, but it's true, man. I mean, a lot of people in the, you know, 20 to 40 age range who did not grow up with the Browns team, whose first memories of football came when the Browns were not here or were not very good, went to other teams flocked to pit and a lot of them flocked to Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh has a huge base in this area it can change if Cleveland gets great again it will change and that will become a rivalry but to be a rival with Pittsburgh nowadays you have to be on the level of like New England because Pittsburgh views New England as their rival right now because those two teams are always fighting for stuff you know the Browns need to get back to the glory days to challenge Pittsburgh, but the Ravens rivalry will never die. Cleveland fans will always hate Baltimore, and I, I do believe Baltimore kind of hates Cleveland a little bit too. There, there, there is angst there. There is legitimate bad blood there. Um, I, I, I do believe the Browns' true number one rival right now is Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, the Browns fans will never let Baltimore fans forget <laughs> that they, they took our team. So I, I think there's a, a anger, guilt, uh, maybe some shame on their end. Um, and, you know, we are just whiny because, you know, they won a Super, they've won Super Bowls and we have gotten nothing. I don't really, I mean, I, I, I don't like Pittsburgh because they, they, they beat us twice a year. Um, but, but really, and, and I know a lot of Steelers fans, I've grown up with a lot of Steelers fans. Um, so naturally their joy in football has annoyed me and and has caused me to wish them ill in terms of football success. But I mean, I, I just, I don't, I don't feel the hate there. And, And, you know, Ben went to my, my, my college, he's an Ohio guy. I don't, I don't hate them like the the way I hate the Ravens. And I, and like you said, I think it's a lot of people my age in, in our generation that just, they don't, they it's not, it's not like we, we like the Steelers, uh, though some of us do. Um, it, it's just, a, a an indifference there. And I, I really think that that Steelers rivalry has, has gone the way, uh, and is gone for, for good. And, and it'll take a really long time for that to be rebuilt up. I disagree in the really long time because I think there is enough people in Cleveland who hate Pittsburgh that if the Browns got good enough to challenge them as in actually like not write the game off as a loss three weeks before it happens, um, that the rivalry would come back. 
Because there are still enough Browns fans. I mean, there are there are a ton of Browns fans out there. Let's let's not sell the Browns fan base short. There are a ton of Browns fans out there. They are old school fans, though. I, I do believe the Browns fan base is an older fan base because of this sort of lost generation. So I do think the Browns have to get good quickly in order to sell themselves before things start fading. I, I do. I, I really believe that the Browns could be in trouble of having a very fractured fan base in about 10 to 15 years if they don't get good quickly because i mean most of the hardcore browns fans i believe are older um yeah. now now that's not to write off the younger people I mean, I mean there are plenty of young browns fans out there but the strength in numbers i think comes from an older generation and i think that in order to view pittsburgh as a rival again the browns have to get good and that's got to happen first. I don't think the Brown Steelers rivalry is is anything close to what it was, and there needs to be some sort of competitiveness to reignite it for most of the Browns fans, especially just to push those Pittsburgh flags away a little bit because Pittsburgh has definitely expanded its fan base into this sort of Northeast Ohio area, and it 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 annoys me. It it really does because I do not like the Steelers. Yeah, I um I I don't I don't like it that people that I grew up with cheer for the Steelers, but, um, at the end of the day, I can't blame them. I mean, it, the Browns are near unwatchable for, for, for most of the season. So, I mean, if the Browns get good and they refuse to come back, then I might get a little bit more upset. But as of right now, I can't really blame anybody for cheering for any other team, uh, than the Browns right now. Um, all right, well, let's, uh, move to, uh, baseball. And the Cleveland Indians, I, this one is a little bit more mercurial for, for me, kind of harder to, to pin down just one true rival. Uh, you know, y- you rule out almost half of the teams because they don't really play each other consistently in the National League. You'd have to get to the World Series to do so. And, you know, when I do think of some of my most hated teams personally, I, I, I think of the three teams that I've seen win World Series over the Indians and the Florida Marlins, Atlanta Braves and Chicago Cubs. But I mean, it, it could be three years before we play any of those teams again, you know. So uh, again, I, I do think that we have to stay within the division and uh, not to sound redundant, but I'm looking at the Chicago White Sox and the Detroit Tigers again as, as my uh, two two uh, biggest rivals, uh, you know, the teams that have challenged the, the Indians, uh, you know, it, starting in the late nineties, especially in the 21st century, uh, the two teams that have kind of had their way with the American league central, uh, the Minnesota twins and Kansas city Royals have also had success. It's been a really competitive division over history, but I think due to proximity and, um, just from my memory, uh, my, my most tense regular season matchups have been, uh, witnessing the Chicago white Sox and the Detroit Tigers. So I think, uh, that's who I'm going with. I'd be interested to to hear your opinion on this, though. I mean, yeah, it, it's hard not to pick those two teams. I mean, Detroit and Cleveland. I, I feel like any time they're in the same division, they're they're going to naturally have a rivalry. It goes back to the Ohio State Michigan thing. I've always viewed the White Sox as the Indians' biggest rival. They're the team I, I for whatever reason, I don't really like the most. Um, but but it's I, I'm like you. It's one of those things where I don't I don't know why, and I think because there's just so much played between them in the division that that there is some contempt and there is some historicness uh between the teams I mean you know the the White Sox and uh 
the White Sox were the team where the Albert Bell was suspected of having the cork bat. Uh, that was kind of a funny situation. Um, but 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 the the biggest one was that 2005 year where the Indians won 95 games, didn't even make the playoffs, and the White Sox swept them the last weekend of the of the year and went on to win the World Series. That was probably the when it started for me. And on top of that, that same year, I believe Mark Burley plunked Travis Hafner in the face the day before my birthday or on my birthday. I wasn't too happy about that either. So the White Sox in 2005, I think, is when I really started to not like them for what they did to deny what I thought was a very strong uh, Indians right. team that could have contended for a title. Um, but oddly enough, when you talk to some old school Indians fans, they will say that there is actually a bit of a rivalry with the Yankees. They will bring up the Yankees as a rival, yeah. and that is not someone I would come to mind. But when you think about it, in those '90s, the the Indians and Yankees did meet in some big games, and, and there there have been some chippy matchups between the two teams. Yeah, I that um I, I can definitely see that uh, just because uh, at least in our times, both franchises have been successful. Uh, obviously, the Yankees have won. Uh, an abundance of world series the indians ha- have zero but they've been in it and especially like you said in the 90s and even in 2007 they, they had to play each other in the playoffs um they've met a lot so there is some bad blood there for sure i wonder if the yankees ha- view us uh in the same light though uh just because with it being the new york yankees the most popular baseball team in the league i, I just wonder if they uh, they just care about the boston red sox and nobody else and, and you know for a rivalry to work it has to go both ways so that's why i really didn't include them in my list um real quick going back to the chicago white sox 2005 yeah there's a lot of bad blood that year and then the very next year jim tomey goes to the white sox and, and they have more success uh and for whatever reason it just felt like jim tomey every game in a chicago white sox uniform hit a home run against the indians for whatever reason and that's more of a personal thing because he was my favorite baseball player for the Indians and whatnot. But um, yeah, I don't. I mean, I mean the Yankees. I can definitely see it. I, I certainly hate them for sure. But I'm I'm not sure if they feel the same way about us. No, they definitely don't. And I think the Yankees get that a lot because they're the most hated team in baseball. I think every team hates the Yankees. But I think the Yankees really only have hatred for the Red Sox and maybe the Orioles as well. Um, but but with the Indians, I do think the White Sox are number one. I think over the last six years, though, Detroit has played its way into the conversation because they have, up until this year, always been in the Indians' way. And, and just not just like, you know, kind of, uh, oh, one game here. No, they've dominated the Cleveland Indians, and, and, and the Indians finally returned the favor this year, I believe, going like 15-1 and one at one point. So that was definitely refreshing to see. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think the White Sox number one and the Tigers number two. Uh, but Bob, Bob, let me just ask the money question. We're looking at all these rivalries. We, we've picked out two for each sport. But do you think that Cleveland has a, has a marquee rival? It's sort of a rivalry that it's like, you know, when you think of the Yankees, when you think of New York, it's like, okay, they hate Boston. They definitely hate Boston. And it's Yankees, Red Sox, but it kind of transcends to other sports. Do the Indian do the Cle- does Cleveland have a transcendent rival? I, I don't think so. Like I, I think if uh, we were on the outside looking in and we would think about you know talk, start talking about Cleveland sports, I don't think we would mention like oh yeah, and then whenever they get together with Team X, uh, that's always great to watch. Um, 
you know, if I had to pick one, we kind of gravitate around Detroit. And I think, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, football wise, they don't play a whole lot. But, you know, back in the day, they, they were definitely uh, on par with each other and and maybe played a little bit more uh, before, you know, conference alignment and whatnot. But um, I, I think Detroit would be the closest thing. But I, I don't think that there, there really is one where, you know, it, it's a marquee matchup like Red Sox versus Yankees or um, uh, Lakers versus Celtics. I, I think that they just, you know, they have their regional rivalries and, and that's about it. The one that, that used to exist was Steelers versus Browns. But again, um, it's just not worth watching right now. Yeah, I think Detroit could be that transcendent rival if they played every year in football. Uh, it's kind of funny. The Indians are in a division with the Whites, uh, with Chicago and Detroit in almost every other sport except football. Like the football division is kind of odd when you look at compared to the other two and and the alignment of teams. Um, so I certainly think if the if the Browns and Lions played in the same division, uh, that Detroit Cleveland rivalry I think would transcend all sports a little bit more. But because they don't, I, I just don't think there's enough juice in the other sports to really make it a transcendent rivalry. Um, maybe, maybe even true with the Bears too. It might help with the Chicago one. But, but I definitely think Detroit would be the number one candidate, and, and I just don't see that as a transcendent rival. Uh, certainly, like you said, regionally there's disdain. They don't really like each other. But I, I don't see it like, oh, oh, we got to beat Detroit every time we play them. You know what I mean? I, I yeah. don't see it rising to that level of sort of a transcendent rival. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, uh, let's take a look at uh, the news uh, from our favorite sports. Uh, real quick, with, with Ohio State football, Gene Smith, athletic director, is appointed to the college football playoff committee. Uh, Chris, what's your take on that? I'm thinking a lot of conspiracy theorists out there are going to point to Gene Smith's appointment to the committee if Ohio State gets to the college football playoff again. But, I mean, sure, why not? I mean, he's been in the athletic director at Ohio State forever. Uh, he survived the Jim Trestle scandal, which, uh, quite frankly, is pretty amazing. I, I don't know how that happened. I'm not saying he, he should have been fired or anything. It's just usually when something like that blows up in your face, uh, the AD goes too. Uh, but but he's done a fine job at Ohio State and, and certainly worthy of being on the committee. Um, I just uh, chuckle a little bit because I think that uh, if Ohio State gets in the playoffs again, people are going to say, well, gee, they have a member of the committee now. So it's just another reason to hate Ohio State. But but certainly a fine choice. I think he'll do fine. Yeah, I mean, there are uh, the, the, the committee is fairly large and has representatives from all conferences and, you know, people most of them have a tie to some kind of school or some kind of conference so i i don't know i i think if we're talking about conspiracy theories that uh thin uh we, we need to have a new hobby or something i i don't think that much will come of that i mean it seems Bob, like a nice have pick. you met conspiracy theorists uh they're short on hobbies yeah i guess that is their hobby is conspiracy theories um but yeah, I mean, is Gene Smith, uh, athletic director of Ohio State, that uh, one of the marquee football programs in, in college football, makes sense that he has a spot at the table. Um, it's cool. I mean, it's not a, uh, it is an Ohio State story, but it's also a Cleveland story. Gene Smith, born and raised in Cleveland, so cool. Um, moving on to the Indians. Last week we talked about seven of the eight guys getting signed to arbitration. Uh, Brandon Geyer, the only one not yet signed. That has changed. He is now signed. 
uh, getting paid about $2 million a year for the next two years. Uh, Chris, no surprise there, right? No, the Indians have a history of, of, of getting deals done before arbitration, so th- this really wasn't a surprise. I loved the uh, Geyer uh, Chisholm Hall platoon in the right, uh, so uh, you know, I'm glad Geyer's back. I thought he was a great addition at the Terry deadline, and uh, man, it looks like it's all systems go for Cleveland then. I, I just can't wait for opening day. Yeah, one of the premier left-handed pitching hitting uh bats in the mlb can't really hit righties but uh man he's really good against lefties and at two million dollars a year definitely a bargain to have a guy like that on the team if the indians could take geyer and Chisenhall and merge them into one switch hitting bat he would be amazing <laughs> yeah but keep Chisenhall's fielding ability because he's what, better what would fielder. you name that though chisenire or Guys in Hall. Blonnie. London. Gizen Hall. London. <laughs> I like Blonnie. Blonnie. <laughs> Blonnie. Guys in Hall. Blonnie. Guys in Hall. That's all. Blonnie. Guys in Hall. We need to <laughs> make that happen. Yeah, that's a complete player right there. Switch hitting outfielder with some range and can can hit from both sides. That that'd be sweet for sure. <laughs> Man, if if Antonetti can make that happen, he's executive of the year. End of story. Oh, yeah. Indians will have a dynasty going on or something. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, moving back to Ohio State, uh, checking in with basketball. Um, you know, did win two in a row. Uh, we, we talked about that Michigan State win. They, they beat Nebraska on the road, uh, fall to uh, Northwestern in, in their most recent game, 74 to 72. Currently, Ohio State sits 12th uh, in the Big Ten standings. Obviously, uh, the season is uh, conference play has just begun, only seven games played for Ohio State. Uh, but Chris uh, do- doesn't look good for them. No, uh, no, it's at the point where they got to win the Big Ten tournament just to get to the NCAA tournament. Uh, they're definitely not going to get an at-large bid. Um, but Northwestern, sixteen and four, five and two. Can you believe they've never been to the NCAA tournament? I think I say that every time we talk about them. But they've never been to the NCAA tournament. Could this be the year? Um, Gavin Skelly of Northwestern had a pretty good game: seven points, four rebounds, two assists, and a block. Big guy for Northwestern. He played his basketball at Westlake. I got to see him play a couple times. Uh, the dude was a beast in high school, and, and and I believe he's only like a sophomore or junior. He's already contributing uh, for Northwestern. So uh, very very cool to see a local guy there. But but you know Ohio State man, it's just it's just not in the cards this year. That the team is just not not that good. I don't think they're going to be a tournament team, and. Um, only Thad Mata's second loss to Northwestern since he took over Ohio State. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah, that, that, that's impressive for Northwestern. And again, just another bad sign for Thad Mata when you start losing to the teams that you always beat. You know, that's you're, you're reaching the end of your rip. So we'll definitely keep checking in on Ohio State and the status there. Um, going uh, back up to Cleveland uh, with the Browns, not a whole lot of noise, but there are some rumors that Jamie Collins and the Browns are close to a contract extension. Uh, the last report was a four-year deal uh, for about $12 million annually, which would make him one of the highest-paid linebackers in the league. Chris, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think this is why you traded for him midseason. You got the trial run. He certainly passed the trial run. He, he definitely looked very good. Um, even though the team wasn't that great, uh, he did stand out. He made some plays for them. 
Uh, I think he's a cornerstone guy you can build around in your linebacking core. Got a couple of other linebackers who popped this year. I, I'm telling you, Bob, I, I do think this front seven might be on to some potential here. Danny Shelton took a step forward. The ends took a step forward. I mean, they, they got some guys who showed promise. I think if you add a little bit more to it, it, it could finally start to turn the corner, and Jamie Collins should be a big part of that if they can get this deal done. Yeah, I, I like the the young talent they have in that front seven, and that's really you know everything uh, when we talk about the Browns is going to point towards the draft. I mean, that's the question uh, that's going to be on a lot of people's minds with some of those defensive linemen available that are thought to be the, the top talents in the draft. If you take one of those guys, you might have an actual uh, – advantage uh, at a certain position in the front seven for the Browns so that would be intriguing and if they uh, lock up Jamie Collins I think that's a, a big win for them they're, they're a team that has spent next to nothing uh, in free agency have had a really low cap threshold so they certainly have money to spend and, and Jamie Collins in eight games uh, was the third leading tackler for the Browns if you factor in his tackles with the New England Patriots he would be the second only to Christian Kirksey with over 100 tackles that's uh, Jamie Collins second best tackle total in in, in his career so certainly uh, w- would be a, is better than any other linebacker on the team and I think he would be a welcome addition to to the rebuild process and, and we would get him in his prime so I have no problem with it I mean you got to be feeling a little little miffed right now it's like you know I'm on a one in 15 team and the team that traded me is in the Super Bowl yeah I mean, you got to so, wonder what I could have done to avoid getting traded. Uh, I mean, by all accounts, he asked for money. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, man, or, I, I'm, not saying, I'm not blaming him for asking for money, but it's like, man, that's just kind of cold. Yeah. So close, but anyway. For sure. Um, all right, and then we're going to end the news uh, and the local news on, on, a, on a sad note. Uh, Andy Marte, former Cleveland Indian, uh, died in a car crash over the weekend at the age of 30. Um, you know, most Indians fans will remember him as being the prize prospect that, that came in the Cocoa Crisp deal from Boston. Um, interestingly, or, you know, sadly, uh, the same night, uh, Rodondo Ventura, the Kansas City Royals, that they're one of their ace pitchers, also died in the Dominican Republic in, a, in an unrelated car crash. So a very sad, sad night for baseball and, and the Dominican Republic. Um, just, uh, you know, th- thoughts go out to them, uh, both of their families and um, you know, for for me, my my memories of Andy Marte uh, was a was a great fielder and just kind of a what could have been uh, certainly a, a talent that was very valued, but just kind of never came to fruition uh, with Cleveland. Yeah, Marte, you could see he had the talent, but for whatever reason, couldn't adjust to the big league levels. Uh, Ventura, obviously, a, a big contributor for the Royals. Uh, a very sad story. I mean, they happened so close together that you thought that they were maybe in the same car crash, but but they the reports were clear that they were separate incidences. It's just one of those uh, terrible coincidences. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, both of them young guys uh, to, to pass away this early, it's just it's just a tragedy, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, you said it best, just our hearts go out to uh, both of their families and through a very tough time for, for both both of them. Yeah, certainly. All right, well, zooming out a, a little bit away from Cleveland, uh, NFL playoffs, the Super Bowl is set uh, to go. We have the New England Patriots uh, making uh, a, a return appearance, uh, Belichick and Brady, seven Super Bowl appearances now. Uh, and then on the other side in the NFC, uh, Atlanta Falcons, uh, kind of out of nowhere. I mean, I, I 
the talent was certainly there uh, for, for the last few years, and they had an opportunity to go to Super Bowl uh, about uh, five years ago now to this point. Wow, that kind of seems four years ago, I guess, with 2016, 2012. Um, but the Falcons uh, versus the Patriots. Chris, what are your thoughts on, on that Super Bowl matchup? Well, first and foremost, the Falcons against Seattle, their offense showed that they were for real. And then against Green Bay, their defense showed that they were for real. That was one of the best pass-protecting offensive lines in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers is a very mobile quarterback. Got hit a lot. They were all over him. Uh, now, I know Green Bay on defense. The defensive side, Green Bay, you could tell the injuries did. Just couldn't keep up with Atlanta. I mean, it, that, that was the story of the game. The fumble changed everything. Um, but, but Atlanta impressed me. And I just looked it up. Six previous Super Bowls featuring the Patriots. Four of them decided by three points. The other two decided by four. So I think it's safe to say that we're in for a pretty good game. Patriots always find a way to make it dramatic in the Super Bowl. You can love them or hate them, but at least you're probably going to get a good game. Uh, and, and, and with Brady and Ryan playing at such a high level, um, I, I would be... Well, I, I, was, I couldn't believe that the uh, Atlanta-Green Bay game was such a blowout, so, so I guess I could be surprised again. Um, but I expect a very competitive Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I think it'll certainly be fun. Uh, I think with, with Atlanta there, um, they, they have a great pass rush. Uh, they have some weaknesses in the secondary, uh, other so- spots of the ball, but that offense is completely balanced. I mean, too deep at running back with Ke- Coleman and, and Freeman, obviously Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Um, inter- interestingly enough, I mean, Taylor Gabriel, Alex Mack, Barkevius Mingo, all playing in a Super Bowl. Jabal Sheard in a Super Bowl as well. I mean, these guys were, were all Cleveland Browns just a few years ago. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Um, not not to dive into the matchup too much because I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot next week, but, but I will be interested to see that Patriots defense against the Falcons, especially Julio Jones. How will Belichick uh, double him? Because you know Jones is going to get bracketed. Um, will he put Malcolm Butler on him, or will he maybe shift Butler and put, you know, have safety help for Jones? Because he's done that before, put his best corner on another receiver and give the best receiver double team help. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what what happens there. That front seven of New of New England. I told you last week, Bob. Don't sleep on them. They they took away that Pittsburgh run game for the most part, and. Uh, you know, I do think that they could make Atlanta one-dimensional. It's just a matter of whether or not you know they can contain Julio Jones. I think if they do a good job doubling him like they did Antonio Brown, they'll be fine. Um, but but yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. Um, and Bob, Bob, talking about that Pittsburgh New England matchup. First off, did, were you able to watch the game? Uh, not all of it. I was in and out. I I I listened to a lot of it on the radio though. Okay. We talked about the matchup last week, and I mentioned how the secondary of the Steelers was not very good, and you said, well, their linebackers are great. They're going to get pressure on Brady. They didn't blitz. They did not blitz. They played zone defense for most of the game. They rushed three or four guys. They didn't blitz, and Brady picked them to shreds. I think he only had six incompletions. I think he was only sacked like once. Bob, how 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 do you... how do you do that? Like, I don't understand what Pittsburgh was doing defensively in that game. I- I'm happy about it because I love yeah. that they got destroyed. But I-, I don't understand how you don't blitz Tom Brady. Yeah, it, I think it was a really poorly coached game on the Pittsburgh side. I I, I think, I mean, th- this Patriots team offensively has been doing this stuff for, for years now. And-, and we've seen when when you get pressure on Brady, that's the best 
chance you have to, to win a game against them or at least to shut down that defense we saw uh when houston uh really had no shot uh, against new england or, or so we thought i mean they got consistent pressure on brady and 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 befuddled him a little bit now they they also looked a little bit out of sync on, on the offensive side or new england's offensive side but uh, some of that most of that is due in part to what the texans were able to do so i i was really befuddled from what i saw uh, how conservative they, they play called on defense and and a lot of the play calls on offense uh, when the game was close in that first half, I I I, I just think that they overthought themselves. No, yeah, certainly, especially defensively. Now I know they lost Le'Veon Bell, but but honestly, I'm not trying to undermine Bell. But D'Angelo Williams is the best backup in all of football. Um, I don't think well, that that was a huge impact. Yeah, I I mean the Falcons man, Tevin Coleman. Uh, that might be the best backup, but I, I get what you're saying. Okay. D'Angelo Williams is a, is a certainly a uh, a fine running back replacement, um, but he's not Le'Veon Bell. I, I'm sorry. I mean, what we saw him do the, the previous two weeks just pick apart um, the Miami Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, clearly, they, they missed him, and they were expecting to rely more on him. But I mean, you got to adjust, and you still have Antonio Brown, you still have Ben Roethlisberger, and like you said, you still have. D'Angelo Williams backing him up. Uh, I expected more from that offense as well. I, I also think Atlanta's front seven will be able to get more pressure on Brady, possibly without blitzing. That's the thing with Pittsburgh. Their linebacking core was their key, so they, they kind of had to blitz more and, and utilize that. I, I don't understand why they didn't play to their strengths on defense. It, it just made no sense. They played right into the Patriots' hands, and they destroyed them. Like they, they, they had no chance of getting New England off the field with the defense they were playing, and they didn't adjust at halftime at all. Like, I, I don't understand what Pittsburgh was trying to do. I think Atlanta is going to have a much better defensive game plan against New England, and I expect Brady to take a few hits in this game. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely uh, preview that a, a little bit more next week. Um, certainly, Super Bowl is one of my favorite days of the year, so I'll be excited to talk about that in detail with a preview matchup. Um, but Chris, one of your favorite uh, sports, uh, Australian Open, is going on. Give us uh, an update from there. Chaos down under, Bob. You said you're a guy who just yeah. likes to pick the favorites. Well, this was not the tournament for you because Kerber, the top female seed, is out. Andy Murphy and Noak Djokovic both failed. The top two men failing to get to the quarterfinals. Bob, this draw is just a red carpet for Roger Federer to potentially add another Grand Slam because he is probably the biggest name left. Now, now, truth be told, I didn't check and see if Rafael Nadal won. But, uh, yeah, it's it's been chaos in Australia so far. Uh, but then again, your, your definition of the favorite was Serena Williams, so you didn't really pick the number one a woman, even though Serena was number two, uh, she's probably always favored. Uh, so, but but yeah, the three of the four top two seeds on both the men and the women are out. So pretty pretty remarkable down there. Yeah, for sure. I, I my rule wasn't the favorite; it was just go with Djokovic and Serena Williams <laughs> for the foreseeable future. So, and obviously they they will be favored in most. But I get what you're saying; they weren't the number one seeds in this tournament. Uh, yeah, from what I was hearing, uh, I, I'm not keeping up with it as much as you but um, I mean every time I opened up my, my sports apps or, or checked in on the news it was another number one seed falling in, in the tournament or another you know big name falling in the tournament so um, that's exciting I always like to see fresh blood uh, in it but like you said Roger Federer Serena Williams they're still in it so maybe it's not going to be so fresh but um, possibly so 
could have a Nadal uh, Federer final. Nadal is in the quarterfinal, but he is facing Milos Ronic, who is a promising young Canadian. Uh, got to a Grand Slam final last year, so uh, that should be a tough match. But yeah, certainly it's been chaos. So so if we have a Nadal Federal final, it, it could be a blast of the past a little bit because uh, those two definitely captivated tennis for a good three or four year period before Nadal started getting hurt. Um, but yeah, no, no, it's been it's been fun. I haven't been able to watch much because it's on so late, and and I don't have cable anymore. But uh, it's certainly been uh, been been fun to see some of these upsets happen. Uh, you you can definitely tell that this year could be a transitional year for tennis uh, as. Uh, some of the old guard is uh, starting to get up there in age. Yeah, definitely. But Alrighty, man. We have packed a ton into this podcast, as usual. Lots of Cleveland sports talk, Super Bowl talk, Australian Open talk. I mean, we didn't miss much. But next week, Super Bowl lead-up, more Cleveland sports. It's Clay Talk, man. So you got to come back next week for another episode of Clay Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. Until then, you can log on to FenleyRoadSports.com. Click the iTunes icon in the corner and subscribe to our podcast. We appreciate your support. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram by clicking in their respective icons in the corner of FenleyRoadSports.com or by searching for Fenley Road Sports through their websites you can also search Fenley Road Sports through iTunes and click Clee Talk to subscribe to our podcast and again we appreciate your support please come back for another episode and until then go Cavs alright I'll see you Chris go Cavs take it easy Bob